0: Name we pray, Amen. All right, so we're in the book of Judges, which is obviously chapter six. Is six chapters away from the end of Joshua, and a lot of things have changed by the time that we get to this point. A number of years have gone by, and there there has been a constant up and down of the children of Israel. Uh, they're on fire for the Lord. They're serving the Lord. And then they get away from God and serve other gods. And God gives them up. And he says, if you, go, if you want your way, I'll give you your way. And they go on their own. And then they, then they come back. And the Lord delivers them. And it's just a, it's just a yo-yo pattern here of, of co- getting close to the Lord and going away from him. And when we pick up in chapter number 6... Uh, We'll we'll see at the end of uh, verse 31 in chapter 5 that the land had rest 40 years. But then here comes that yo-yo pattern. And the children of Israel, in verse 1, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So God's just not going to let us get by with things. You understand I mean, we we always talk about the blessing of God, and God's always eager to bless His people. But we got to also understand that we can't just live and do however we want to. Uh, God's not going to bless sin and unrighteousness, and He's not going to bless anyone as they get away from the Word of God and from His will for their life. And so they go and they... They, they, they begin to serve strange gods. And it, it says that he was delivered in the hand of Midian seven years. Now, let me just say this, and the first ten verses are just introduction. The Midianites are actually the sons of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 25, Sarah died in Genesis 23. Isaac got his wife, Rebekah, in chapter 24. And in chapter 25, Abraham remarried a woman by the name of Keturah. And you'll read there in uh, verse number uh, 2 that Abraham and Keturah had the sons of Midian. And so they are actually children of Abraham, just like really the children of Israel are. But they're from a different line. And uh, the Midianites have gone away from God. And so they're persecuting the children of Israel. And the hand of Midian, verse uh, 2, prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains, and caves and strongholds. Now, Now, Tyler, there's only one reason why you would leave your home to go live in caves and other strongholds live in the mountains, and that is because you're afraid for your life, okay? And it's a terrifying thing to live in fear. And so for the last seven years, the children of Israel have lived in fear. And it says in verse 3, And so it was when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. So it wasn't, Liz, it wasn't as if they just were constantly, you know, like, like, like the Romans overtook everything and then s- dwelled there, right? They set up their soldiers. They would, go back, they would go back home every year. They let you sow your crops and ready to reap a harvest so that you could take care of your family. And when it's time to reap your harvest, here they would come. And they would come in and they would take all of your harvest, they would take all of your sheep, they would take all of your donkeys, they would take everything that was uh, vital for the children of Israel to live, the Midianites would take it. And it says in verse 4 that they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou came unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep Nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. So they were, I was going to say locusts, but the Bible calls them grasshoppers. They just take over everything. And when they're done, everything that you worked for, everything that you was pleading for, um, is suddenly gone. And in verse 6, And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And before I move on, I want us to ask ourselves this question from verse 6. Why did it take them seven years to cry unto the Lord? Just think about that. Seven years. Seven years they're facing poverty. They're they're losing everything, their livelihood, everything. And seven years later, they cry unto the Lord, and the Lord hears them in verse 7. And let me say this before I move forward. I think there's something, I think there's a... There's a great difference between praying and crying out unto God, okay? Because all of us can say a prayer, and you know exactly what I mean when I say that. You, you're, you're, you're praying because you know that's what you're supposed to do. You've been praying for 60 seconds, and you don't know a word you said. But you said something that you've gotten into a routine of saying, and you're just saying the same old religious jargon when you're desperate and you and you recognize that God is your only hope then you got God's attention and every one of us are guilty of the fact that we we wait until we have nowhere else to turn before suddenly we care about what God thinks can I get an amen tonight All right, so look at verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So when God hears, he sends the preacher with a message. And he says, I brought you up, from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. Don't you think God gets tired of delivering that message? I mean, think about, think about it. Genesis, I mean, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, how many times that comes up? It comes up all the way over in the book of Acts when the church has started. I imagine he gets tired of saying the same thing. And so he says, He says, I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. That was the message. Now, why did God send the preacher to deliver that message? Because God is making it real clear, it's not his fault. They're not in that situation because he hates them. Are you with me? Because all of us have been in situations where we question, does God love me? Does God care about my situation? He is delivering that message to let them know, you're not in this situation because I hate you or despise you. You're in this situation because I warned you Don't go after their gods, and that's what you've done. So, the Lord's going to answer their cries beginning in verse 11. And he's going to do it through a young man by the name of Gideon. And in verse 11 through 13, I want us to see Gideon's perspective of the situation. It says, There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is in Orphrah that pertained unto Joash, the Abizorite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now that, that just speaks volumes right there. When he approaches Gideon... Gideon is hiding from the Midianites. He is threshing wheat behind the winepress. Why? Because he's afraid that they would find him. They find him trying to reap a harvest. They're going to come after him. So he is in hiding here. And the angel of the Lord appears appears to Gideon. And he says unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, who wants to follow a young man who is hiding from the enemy? And he is going to be the deliverer of all of you. Who wants to follow a guy like that? What I want us to recognize is this this evening, and I pray it gives you some hope. God's way of choosing his man or his leader is not like the world chooses theirs. All right? I want you to think about David. God called David from where? He called him from a little town called Bethlehem as a shepherd boy. Are you with me? The most despised of all occupations in Israel. He chose Moses, who had been wandering out there and taking care of his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years in the backside of a desert. And God says, I want you to go deliver my people. And Moses says, I can't possibly do that. Think about the the apostles, Darren. Think about Peter and uh, James and John and Andrew. Fishermen, right? Fishermen. Men who the Pharisees looked at and said, they're just a bunch of unlearned and ignorant men. Such men could not possibly change the world, right? Or think about the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul, he was well-educated. He had to relearn everything, but think about this. He was an individual who had to live with his past every day of his life. He was one that had Christians killed because of their faith, and now he's going around delivering people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? What I want you to see tonight is this. You might not think that you're very much You might not think that you're very much, but if God can do what God's done with Larry Culp, God can do it with anybody. Amen? Can I get amen, Larry? God has done extraordinary things through Larry Culp. God can do extraordinary things with you despite your past. If you're willing to obey the Lord. Now, Gideon didn't get off to a good start because he offers his perspective in verse 13. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befalling us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Gideon's wanting to blame God for it. If the Lord's with us, then why is this happening? We've all said it, we've all thought it, we've all heard it. If God is really with us, then why is this happening right now? Well, the Lord looked upon him in verse 14. And we see Gideon's poverty and spirit in the next three verses. The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. And thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. His his next thought is, you can't use me. I come from the poorest family of Manasseh. I I am the least of all of my father's children. I am the runt of the family. There is no way that I can deliver the people of Israel. He's very poor in spirit. But the Lord offers in verse 16 the answer saying... Surely I'll be with thee. He never never was relying on Gideon's strength or ability to begin with. Gideon was just his man. And I want you to to recognize this. God saw something in Gideon before he ever saw anything in himself. Come on, come on. Listen, I didn't go to bed until 2.45 this morning. I'm still going. All right? That ought to help everybody. That ought to help everybody in here tonight, right? That ought to help everybody in here tonight. God saw something in Gideon before he ever saw something in himself. And he saw something in every one of us that would would be worthy to him to deliver his son on the cross so that we could all be saved. All right? Everybody should be saying, Amen, thank you, Lord. All right? We ought to be thankful for that. God saw something in him. And he sees something in me that I never saw in myself. And Paul said that God, he says, I thank God that he put me in the ministry because he counted me faithful and he hath enabled me. Of all the things that Paul suffered, he thanked God that God gave him the calling to be in the ministry. And he recognized this, that God saw something in him that he never would have seen in himself. And God did the same with Gideon. And Gideon's saying, you know what, God, you can't use me. I'm I'm the least of everyone, of all the people in Israel. I'm not your man. And then you see his prayer for a sign in verse 17 through 21. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes of an ephod flour, the flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, And he brought it unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed Out of his sight. Now, Gideon's fear that was a result of years of oppression and his own personal insecurity led him to a lack of faith. And we can argue tonight, we can say, oh, Gideon should have just had faith. He shouldn't ask God for a sign, he shouldn't have done that. But God didn't rebuke him for it, and I'm not going to rebuke him for it tonight. Amen? God didn't do it. I'm not going to do it. God granted his sign. He said, give me a sign. God granted it to him. It would have been great if he had the faith to just follow the Lord, but the Lord knew he wasn't there. And for reasons we're going to talk about in just a moment. Then verse 22 through 24, God offers his peace for his servant. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, he's expecting to die now. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Now, Christian and I were talking about this this afternoon, actually. And uh, we were talking about... You know, in the Scripture, many times the Bible says, Thou shalt not fear, fear not. There's many times that that shows up in the, in the Word of God. And uh, we, we have our thoughts about that, that we should not be afraid, right? I mean, my verse is Joshua 1.9, don't be afraid, right? But the truth is, there are times when I'm, I'm scared to death. Am I the only one? That's the truth, okay? And she, she had read somewhere that was a great thought. Because probably all of us, and truth is, I probably have preached this before, all right? That we have said where he says, don't fear, that it is is a command. We shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Believe me. You shouldn't be scared. Just have faith in me, right? But the illustration was given, and I thought it's a very good illustration, and it's something to think about. There was a father who was walking through the neighborhood with his son, little, his young son. And they were just walking down the street together for an afternoon stroll. And suddenly a ferocious dog came running toward them and began to bark. And, and it, was very, um, it was a very nerve-wracking situation. And the son ran to his daddy real quick, and he began to cry. And the daddy picked him up, and he held him, and he says, It's okay, son. Don't be afraid. Now, here's, here's the thing. That child had every reason to be afraid. And his father isn't God, so I'm going to tell you right now, in my own experience, father's scared to death himself. Right? He's terrified himself. How am I going to get out of this? right, The father is not telling him, I'm telling you son, don't be afraid. He's comforting him in his fear. He's comforting him in his fear. And in this situation, Gideon is a scared man. He's a scared man. And years of oppression has caused that in his life. He's scared of everything around him. And now. Now when the God delivers a sign. He's saying. Oh. He says. I've, I've done it now. An angel of God has been with me. God's going to strike me dead. Right? And the Lord says. Don't be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid of me. God. I don't want you to be afraid of me. I'm here because I love you. And I want to use you. And so. Notice what Gideon does in verse 24. He built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Jehovah Shalom means God of peace. All right? So there's peace. He found peace in his relation with the Lord. Now, that peace helps him to go forward, but he still has fear. Beginning in verse 25, God gives him a private mission and a sacrifice to be made. So read with me. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. He's still afraid. But but here's where he's at. God has given him enough to go forward. But he's not willing to do it in the daytime when everybody sees him. He goes at nighttime. Are you with me? Do you see that? I want you to get that. We're taking baby steps here, right? We're taking baby steps. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it the whole time. I'm scared to death. First time you knock on the door. I'm scared to death. But God, I'm going to do it, right? First time you hand out a gospel tract to someone. You're scared, but you know it's the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. All right? So, so here we go. He goes to cut it down in verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. Ooh, somebody tattled on him, didn't they? I mean, somebody had a tattle there, all right? I'm just, I'm just saying. Jo- it, was, it was Gideon. Gideon's the one that done it. Well, then the men of the city said unto Joash, uh, Gideon's father, "Will bring out thy son that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet mourning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Listen, listen. God, God was doing the work of his father, work in the heart of his father, while Gideon is over here doing a work for the Lord. His reason to be afraid is overcome because God, God can take care of the situation before we get there, unlike Baal. We don't, have to, we don't have to, listen, we don't have to stand up for the Lord. The Lord can take care of himself. But we stand up for the Lord. Because the Lord tells us to. And sometimes, like in the case with David, do you? I mean, God slew 185,000 Assyrians in one night, and the people didn't lift one sword. Do you think God couldn't have took care of Goliath? Do you think he couldn't have done it? He could have done that. But he was fixing to raise up David in the eyes of men. And he was fixing to use a young shepherd boy who had faith, that if he killed that giant, everyone would believe in his God. Right? So God let him do it. God, God set that situation up so David could succeed. And so, so Gideon, he obeys the Lord and he tears down that altar and he builds another altar and places his father's offering on that and that sacrifice. And everyone's mad and angry It says, it says Gideon should die. And Joash is saying, no. No, I think... I think I think if you believe in the God who can't stand up for himself, I think you're the one who should die. Right? Lord can take care of it. Now, let's wrap up. Let me say this before I move. Before God would deliver the Israelites from Median, he had to deal with false worship in their own heart. Before he sent Gideon to take on the Midianites, he sent Gideon to remove the strange God. And sometimes, before God gives us the great victory that we're seeking, God has put us in a situation to remove some things in our own heart. Before we're willing to do that, he's not required to answer our prayer the way we're seeking. It. In verse 33, Gideon prepares to save Israel, and then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. We know that is the place of Armageddon. It's a beautiful valley. It is still one of the most fertile places in all the earth. And the Amalekites and the Midianites came there to destroy it and take all of the goods for themselves. And in verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and a was gathered after him. I don't know if Gideon was fully aware that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him or not. But because of his obedience, God was doing something there. And I know it's different in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. I know that. But God and God's spirit came upon him. And in verse 35, Gideon sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and the Zebulun, and to Naphtali. And they came up to meet him. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said... Behold, I'll put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou shalt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so. For he rose up early on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with a fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. I wish I, wish I could say that Gideon was ready now to take on the world because of all that he had seen God do, but Gideon was still a little bit afraid, and he put the fleece out. And again, if God didn't rebuke him for it there, I'm not going to rebuke him for it either. The thing is, is we got to be willing to take a step forward, right? And it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you've been in life. Listen, God can use you. You might not change the entire world, but you might change your world. Or you might change the world of your neighbor. God can use you, Brandon if you'll let him use you. He can use us all, all right? And isn't it wonderful, Steve, that he sees something in you that perhaps you don't see in yourself? That's a God of grace, isn't it? That's a God of grace. Let's go tonight. As we close, I'll pray and we'll finish this part of our service. Listen, let's not get in a hurry tonight. I don't want you to